Thanks, David and Evelyn. And thank you, Jeff, who has unknowingly provided me with a nice introduction with his talk about powers and principalities. Well, for all of my years at high school, uh, rain, hail and shine, I rode my bike to and from school. In wet weather, I would line my school bag with a garbage bag and I'd ride in plain clothes and get changed when I got there. And if there was unexpected wet weather, then myself and all the other riders all jostled for the one hand dryer that there was in the school toilets. There were more than a few times when we remained damp for the whole day, but we were kind of built tough in those days. The high school that I attended was on a very busy road. Actually, it was Springvale Road, and so I rode up and down Springvale Road each day. And every day I would pass three very angry-looking dogs <laughs> who would snarl and growl and run up and down the fence line. And every day I would just sail straight past them because there was a fence between me and these three angry-looking dogs until one day there wasn't. And the three angry-looking dogs were all waiting for me <laughs> in that sort of a stance, which you see up there. Somehow they had managed to escape the confines of the fence and I was left staring them down. In a split second I was off the bike and I had the bike between me and the three dogs. I threw the bike at the three dogs and darted across the traffic in Springvale Road. My reasoning, I think, being that the three dogs were not going to stop but the traffic might stop. And it did and I was rescued on the other side of the road by a man on a ride-on lawnmower who whisked me to safety and called somebody, the police or the council, I presume, and the three dogs were impounded. They did eventually return, those three dogs, but only after a much higher and much more secure fence had been built on that property. And so ever after I rode past those same three dogs, very much more wary of their presence, on the lookout, but not overly frightened because of the protection that that secure fence provided for me. And that, I believe, is the appropriate attitude that Christians should have towards Satan. Ever wary because the Bible tells us that the enemy prowls around looking for someone to devour, but not frightened, because in the name of Jesus, we have all the protection that we need. Instead, I think depending on which part of the world you live in, instead of having that attitude, I think many of us have one of two other attitudes. Many people in the world live in fear of those spiritual forces uh, in the world. And the rest of us, mostly in the Western world, often sail through life, as I sailed past those dogs, 
without giving the spiritual realm much of a second thought. And both of these are unhealthy attitudes to have because both of them give Satan a foothold into our lives that he does not deserve. Most of us Western Christians, as I've said, I think fall into that latter category. We are like the childhood me, sailing past those angry dogs, never giving them a second thought. If I'd been a little more aware on that day, I might have been thinking to look ahead and I would have seen them before I was onto them. Most of us, I think, in the West go through life with very little awareness of what Paul called the principalities, the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And I think that from time to time it is healthy for us to take our heads out of the stand and to adjust our perspective a little bit. Today's passage is taken from Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 23. It was read to us earlier. And I think it's important for us to locate that particular passage within the context of the whole Bible. Because I think doing that will greatly help us to understand what Jesus meant by it. So today we're going to begin by zooming right out to look at the, the big picture of the Bible story. And I think when we do that, it becomes evident what Jesus is really trying to explain here. That this is an important turning point in the biblical storyline. Most of which can be described as a, the story of two kingdoms, two opposing kingdoms. The first of those kingdoms is the kingdom of God. The other kingdom, or you might want to call it a domain, is the domain of Satan. And contrary to the way things are often depicted artistically, Satan is not holding a pitchfork and ruling in some kingdom down below uh, in a fiery kingdom uh, that we might refer to as hell. And neither is the kingdom of God restricted to heaven, which would leave us sort of hanging somewhere in the middle, waiting for our ultimate fate to be decided which kingdom we end up in. Instead, both God and Satan are very much active in the here and now of this world. And all of us are already members of one or the other of these two kingdoms. The kingdom of God goes by a few names in the Bible and there's some scripture references up on the, the screen for you there. It's referred to as simply the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of Christ and God, very occasionally the kingdom of David and quite frequently the kingdom of heaven. And the name that is chosen really depends on the context uh, that the writer is using or the audience that they are writing to. So you'll note that in Matthew's gospel, he's writing mainly to a Jewish audience 
and the Jewish people held the name of God with great reverence. It was sacred to them and so uh, they didn't like to use it and so he used the kingdom of heaven instead for their sake. The other kingdom is the kingdom or the kingdoms of this world. And the Bible very clearly identifies Satan as the current ruler of this world. Now that might surprise you. But the Bible speaks of him as the prince of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the one who controls the whole world, and the God of this age with a small g, the God of this age. Now, this raises a very obvious question. How did a rebel from heaven come to have so much authority in the world that was created by the one that he was rebelling against? God certainly didn't give it to him, so who did? Well, it turns out it was us. The opening words of the Bible tell us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And into the empty darkness that was the earth, he brought light. And then he gathered the seas together to create the earth. And then he filled the earth with all kinds of living things, plants and animals, all kinds of creatures, creatures that live in the air and live in the sea and live on the land. And God saw that it was very good. But the pinnacle of his creation, he would make in his own image. So he created human beings and to them he gave the authority to rule over everything that he had created. And you can see it up there in that scripture from Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, so that they may rule over the fish and the birds, over the livestock and the animals and over all the creatures on the ground. We were given that authority by God. We were to rule with him and to live in harmony in the garden with God. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven effectively as one. But all of that changed when the first human beings handed that authority that they had been given over to another. In choosing not to obey God, but to obey the serpent in the garden, Adam and Eve became slaves to the serpent, to Satan. And effectively, they handed their authority over to him. Romans 6, 16. Do you know, don't you know, when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. 
Now, we can't be too hard on Adam and Eve here. They represent all of humanity. Human beings chose not to obey their creator, and they continue to do that. The creator who had given them authority to rule, and they chose instead to believe lies and to obey Satan. And in doing so, they allowed him to have that authority over them. So it is at the fall of humanity that Satan came to have authority on earth. Now when Jesus came to earth, Satan knew that he was in trouble. With only a few exceptions among human beings, people like Simeon and Anna, for the most part, people had no idea that their long-awaited Messiah had come to earth. But Satan knew. And so he did what any ruler would do when their kingdom is about to be challenged. You throw everything you have at the challenger and we see that all the time, don't we, in wars that break out on earth. Often the most fiercest fighting is at the point shortly after the initial challenge has been made. This was his domain. This was the place where he believed that he had authority because the humans had handed it to him. And so he led Jesus Jesus was led out into the wilderness and there Satan challenged him. He threw everything he had at him for 40 days in the wilderness. And towards the end of that time, he led him to a high place and he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world. And he offers them to Jesus with one condition, that he worship him. Now, you can see what he's trying to do there. God was worshipped by human beings who handed their ruling authority over to... He handed ruling authority over to them. Now Satan, who has the authority, wants to hand it over to Jesus. He wants to be like God. He wants to be worshipped like God. And, of course, Jesus is having none of it. Adam might have succumbed in the garden. Adam did succumb in the garden to the devil's tempting and he disobeyed God. But Jesus would remain obedient to the will of the Father and he prevailed through temptation and he emerged declaring the time has come. Kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This kingdom of God had come to earth. The kingdom of God had invaded the kingdom of Satan. In fact, the king of God's kingdom had come to earth to challenge the kingdom of Satan and ultimately to defeat the kingdom of Satan. So the status quo here is about to be disrupted in a very serious way because one who had greater authority had arrived. And throughout the gospel, we see Jesus repeatedly demonstrating that authority as he heals the sick, 
and as he casts demons out of people. So we see people who um, sometimes for their whole lives had been affected by conditions like seizures. Um, they were freed and made well. And then others that people could do little more than lock away for their own safety and for the safety of other people, people who were tormented by demons, foaming at the mouth, doing all sorts of destructive behaviours. These people, Jesus returned to their right state of mind, exercising his authority and commanding the evil spirits to leave them. And all the people were amazed by what they saw. They had never seen such authority on earth. Jesus was beginning to draw a crowd to himself and his displays of authority were beginning to threaten the authority of the religious leaders. And so they lay this charge against him. He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, He's driving out demons. Now Luke's gospel doesn't tell us who it was um, that was making this claim, but Mark's gospel makes it very clear that this was the teachers of the law who had come down from Jerusalem to lay this claim against him. And it's perhaps not, not the most well thought out argument. I think probably the year seven debating team at any local high school would have some sort of effective rebuttal against this argument because if you're driving out demons um, using demons, that's kind of like turning an army and ordering it to fight against itself. And that's the kind of tactic that would spell certain end for that army. If Satan is divided against himself, says Jesus, how can his kingdom stand? Jesus goes on and he says, further, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons drive them out? So then they will be your judges. So these religious leaders, they would have had their own uh, exorcists amongst them. And if Jesus was in league with Satan, then so must they be. And so they would be their judges. So either these people are going to have to admit that their own people are working with Satan, or they must acknowledge that Jesus is doing this by the finger of God or in the power of God or by the spirit of God or under the authority of God. And if by the finger of God, said Jesus, then they must acknowledge that the kingdom of God has come to them. Now it's consistent in the many gospel accounts of Jesus confronting Satan and the demons that these forces declare that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God. They know exactly who he is. They know that he is the Son of God and they know exactly what he's come to do. The spirit world 
was very much aware of who Jesus was and of what he was coming to do. People were much, much slower. So Jesus explains what he's doing and what they were observing like this. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than him attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which he has trusted and he divides the spoil. Now, Satan is the strong man that Jesus is speaking of. The palace or the house that he's guarding is this world, the place in which he has that authority, the place in which at the moment he rules. And while he guards that place, his goods are safe. No one can take them away from him. What are his goods? His goods are the people, everyone who belongs to his kingdom, which is the same as saying everyone who doesn't belong to the kingdom of God. It's the unbelievers. They're his and no one can take them from him. The only way they can be taken from a strong man is for someone who is stronger to come and overpower or bind up the strong man. When someone does that, he can take from him his armour in which that man trusted and then they can enter his palace or his house or his kingdom and plunder the goods which are all the people of that kingdom. That armour that Satan trusts in is the enmity that exists between God and human beings while there is sin in their lives. And when it's dealt with and that armour is taken away, Satan is overpowered, he's bound up and his goods, his people can be plundered. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do to plunder people from Satan's domain, the kingdoms of this world, and to deliver them into the kingdom of God. And he, and only he, can do it because only he is stronger than the strong man. And he does it through the forgiveness of sin. That's how he takes the armour away. He And only he has the authority to do that. So where Adam and Eve failed to overcome the serpent in the garden, Jesus overcame. He has bound him. He has taken away his armour. Where Adam and Eve disobeyed, Jesus was obedient even to his death. From Adam came death, from Jesus eternal life. And so ultimately, though through that authority that once belonged to humans and that relationship that we once had with God, it can only be redeemed at great cost. 
It was forfeited through sin. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin are death. And so that is what it would cost, death. The death of one who was without sin to redeem it for us. Now, the Bible opens with a garden scene and it closes with a city scene. And there are many similarities between these two. In both places there is no sin, there is no suffering and there is no death. In both places God and humanity live together in harmony. Both places have a life-giving river that runs through them and both, in both places there are the, the trees of life with their supernaturally abundant um, fruits. And we're on a journey from one to the other and the story of the Bible falls between these two beautiful scenes. And we live, all of us, somewhere in between those two points. We are part of this ongoing tale of two opposing kingdoms. Jesus has already come. He has brought the kingdom of God near. And he's, he's done the binding of the strong man and the plundering of his goods is ongoing. And we are called to be a part of that work. The passage that we have worked through today has been used by people to justify identifying all sorts of strong men in people's lives. You know, name the strong man and bind that strong man. But the trouble is this passage is not about us. This passage is about Jesus. And he is the only one strong enough to overpower the strong man and to take away his armour. We can't do that for ourselves. And so whilst it is true that we are all called to participate in the mission of Jesus here on earth and to be part of that plundering and bringing people into his kingdom, we are not called to be the strong man. We have authority from him because Jesus has won that authority for us but we are not the strong man and we need to keep that in mind. When the 72 returned after being sent out by Jesus to announce to the people that the kingdom of God was near, they went out with the authority that he gave them. And they returned with joy. And the report that they brought back speaks volumes. Lord, they said, even the demons submit to us in your name. In your name. Only Jesus can bind the strong man. Those principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world that the Apostle Paul speaks about and that Jeff mentioned to us this morning, they remain very active 
in the world today. And they are active in opposition against the work of Christians. Against the work of Christian organisations, against the work of individual Christians. So, it is important for us to remember a few things. It is important that we keep our heads out of the sand and be aware that we are involved in this battle between opposing kingdoms. The world is not just a physical world. We live in a world where there are opposing spiritual forces. It's important that we don't equip Satan with any more armour by allowing sin back into our lives. It's important that we keep that in check by bringing it before Jesus constantly. It's important that we equip ourselves with the armour that God has provided for us, which is detailed in Ephesians 6. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. These things are our armour to be used in the battle. And it is important that we apply the name of Jesus in the spiritual battles that we encounter because our authority comes through him and from him. He is the strong man and the principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, they are a defeated foe and they will submit to Christ's authority when we use his name. Let's pray. Father, we look forward to that day when there is no more good and evil, only good as you intended for us. Until then, Lord, we continue the work that you have given us to do, aware that the battle is spiritual and that Satan certainly has no joy in his house being plundered. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.